Hello and welcome to Sake Revolution, America's first sake podcast. I am your host, John Puma, the founder of thesakenotes.com, administrator of the Internet Sake Discord, all-around sake nerd. And I am your host, Timothy Sullivan. I am a sake samurai, sake educator, as well as the founder of the Urban Sake website. And together, John and I will be tasting and chatting about all things sake. So, Tim, what have you been doing to keep busy lately? Well, you know, my work's changed a lot. I used to fly all over the place. Uh, but as many people have, I've been leading a lot of online webinars. Uh, I can identify with that. There's absolutely no shortage of online sake webinars going on these days. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of sake webinars, too. And I'm really impressed with how many good sake questions people are putting in the chat at these webinars. Yeah, it's it's kind of great to know what people are interested in hearing about. You know, we should do that, too. I think our listeners have some questions. Well, let's let's do it then. We want to hear from you at home. If you have a burning sake question that needs to be answered, please send it over to feedback at sakerevolution.com. So Tim and I can answer it right here on the show. I'm really looking forward to see what people send in. That's certainly going to be a good time. But for today's episode, I understand that the Sake Education Corner is going to be making its triumphant return. Yes, we're doing part three of our series about sake production. And what is part three, Tim? Well, it's Shubo. Shubo, fantastic. What is it? Do you know what Shubo means, literally? Uh, I do not. Not literally, no. Well, Shu is one of the words for sake, Mm -hmm. and Bo is one of the words for mother. So Shubo is actually the mother of sake. Some people call it the seed mash or the fermentation starter or the yeast starter, but it is the step of sake production where all the ingredients finally come together and we get fermentation. Sake mother. The sake mother. So yeah. so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Omachi being the, the grandfather. grandfather. <laughs> and now this is the mother. The family is expanding. Tim. Yes. Just wait till we get to the second cousin. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wait with bated breath. Yeah. So the, the purpose of Shubo, there's another word for Shubo. There's always another word. Uh, Sometimes people say moto as well, M-O-T-O, moto. Okay. You can yeah, use I've definitely them. heard that word. Yeah, you can use them interchangeably. And uh, so just a quick recap, we uh, had rice milling, then we had uh, the rice preparation, washing, soaking, and steaming, and then we had our koji making. And once you have the koji made, you really have all the ingredients you need to begin fermentation. And shubo is the first step in that process. I call it most often the fermentation starter. Mm-hmm. I think I've also heard that terminology before, <laughs> probably in one of your education seminars. <laughs> the, uh, the purpose for doing a shubo, uh, some people think it's, you know, really to get the alcohol production started, but that's not really the reason mm. you begin fermentation at this point. Um, the purpose of shubo is actually to grow the yeast colony before it goes into the big tank. The yeast arrives at the brewery in a little uh, tube about the size of a chapstick. And there's, oh. there's already millions of yeast cells in there, but you need to grow it to billions of yeast cells. So they use this Shubo step to have a small tank and 
they grow the yeast very um, carefully over uh, generally a two-week period, and uh, that produces a really healthy, vibrant yeast colony that can then move on to the main deal, the main fermentation. Yeah, I think the first time I ever visited a sake brewery, I didn't quite understand how that worked. And mm-hmm. so they brought us into this room with these very small tanks yeah. and they were, they were working on and there was you know a lot of foaming going on in there. And I'm yes. very like, this can't possibly be the sake tanks. Like they're not, these yields are too small. There's no way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was explained to me that this was actually, this is the starter. And then, then from there it goes into, and then we moved into the next room. Yeah. The big tanks. Yeah, you have to think about it like this. If you put those yeast cells into a giant tank, they would spread out so much. It's like putting seven people into a, a, a football stadium. You know, they can't really connect with each other that well. But, but if you but have in, them in the age of social distancing, this is a good thing. <laughs> well, we don't want to social distance our yeast. Okay, we do not want to social distance our yeast, but we do now have an episode title. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we want to get the yeast uh, uh, together and growing, reproducing, and uh, it's, a, it's a great way to ensure that the yeast that go into the main tank are vibrant, and there's a lot of them, and it will ensure a really healthy fermentation at the next step. That's very interesting. Now, I understand that there's more than one way to do this, more than one way to accomplish this. What do we have? What are, what are the options available to us? Well, we're going to talk about four types of shubo. The most common one is what we call sokujo. Sokujo is used by about 90% of all sake production. It's called the modern fast fermentation starter method. And uh, this area gets a little bit technical, but... um, one of the things that we add to the shubo is lactic acid. And lactic acid, I always explain it like this. Uh, If you think of the shubo tank, the little shubo tank as a canvas, when you put lactic acid in there, it's like an eraser or white paint that you put on the canvas. It cleans off everything and gives you a clean slate. So what the lactic... Yeah, the lactic acid is killing all the wild bacteria and all any stray yeast that got in there. And it gives the sake yeast a clean starting point. It's like clearing out all the riffraff and putting the sake yeast into a pristine environment. So adding lactic acid right before you add the yeast is ensuring that they have the best possible start. So that lactic acid addition is done manually for the Sokujo method. So they just, they literally take some in a, in a, in a tube and they pour it in. And that kills all the um, wild yeast, wild bacteria, and the sake yeast can begin growing uninhibited. But the lactic acid does not impact the sake yeast. That's interesting. That's right. Sake yeast uh, it actually thrives in a higher acid environment. Ah, very interesting. Okay. That is, yep. that's fascinating. Yeah. So the other, the other types of shubo are all variants about how to get the lactic acid into the fermentation starter. So the most common method is to purchase lactic acid. It comes in a liquid form, and you just dump it in. Uh, that sounds so, very straightforward. Yeah, very straightforward. <laughs> and that shubo, um, we put in water. Mm-hmm. We put in the lactic acid. We put in regular steamed sake rice, and then we put in that koji rice, the molded rice. Right. 
and then all the yeast goes in on the first day. And then that begins fermentation. So that's the recipe for the modern fast method. And that takes two weeks. That seems remarkably efficient for what's being done here. Yeah. It's, it's kind of amazing what you can accomplish in two weeks. So, so what else do we have? Well, there's uh, the, the next most recent one is called Yamahai. Okay. And there's a related style called Kimoto. Uh, Kimoto is more uh, ancient than Yamahai, uh, but they have something in common. With Kimoto and Yamahai, they allow lactic acid to develop naturally over two weeks, and then they add the yeast, and it continues from there for another two weeks. So the Kimoto and Yamahai methods are a four-week process, and the key difference is that those two allow for natural lactic acid buildup over time. They don't add it manually. Well, that, that sounds like a bit more work. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's one difference between Kimoto and Yamahai that differentiates them. And uh, what would ki- that be? Kimoto sake, when they put the rice and the water in at the very beginning, they use these long poles to mash the rice and the water together. Uh-huh. And um, they thought for many, uh, many uh, hundreds of years that you needed to mash the rice and water together or, you, or it wouldn't work. But then... Uh-huh. Around 1900, 1910, they discovered that if they just let it sit there and raise the temperature a little bit, you would get the same development of lactic acid. So there's the Kimoto method, which has um, been around for a really long time, and that's where they do this pole ramming. They mash the rice with these long poles. And then Yamahai is the method that came after that, where they just stopped that pole ramming and they allowed lactic acid to develop naturally. Hmm. I mean, uh, Kimoto sounds like even more work. Yes. Now I have a, now as a pole. <laughs> yes, it, you have to picture like a long pole with a brick-shaped block at the end of it, mm-hmm. and they would use that to mash the rice and water together and create like a slurry. And uh, they thought that that would help kickstart the this whole process to work really well. Mm. Uh, but when science advanced a little bit in the early twentieth century, they figured out, oh, let's just uh, leave it as is and raise the temperature a little bit and then it, it, it got to I, I like the idea that somebody was just like really tired one day and was like wait a minute guys what <laughs> if we just don't do this part let's see what happens what, what's the worst it can be <laughs> there's actually songs that they would sing to keep time when they're when they're mashing so it's like a very laborious process so uh yeah but it seems like it i i, I have seen photos of the of the kimoto uh you know, pole mashing, and it's, it does not seem like a good time. Yeah. It seems like a tremendous amount of physical labor and a lot of work. Yeah, so um, things have gotten progressively easier. Um, but did you know there's even a more ancient method than Kimoto? Does it involve there's like, poles? It, <laughs> well, we can call it the grandfather of Shubo. Oh, so this geez. is the grandfather of the sake mother. So this, is the, <laughs> this, is the, this is the grandfather on the mother's side. All right, got it. <laughs> so I think in a past episode, we featured what's called a bodai moto. Mm. And uh, this is uh, also referred to sometimes as uh, monk's sake because this yeast starter method was developed by monks in uh, Shinto shrines. Hmm. And, and how does it differ from the Kimoto? 
what we do is we take some rice and some water and we let it soak in a small tub. And over the days that the, it's soaking, the water becomes rich in natural lactic acid. So lactic acid is going to develop naturally in there. After about three days, they remove the rice and separate the water and rice. Um, the rice is then put into uh, the moto tank, and the lactic acid-rich water is then mixed in there with some koji rice, the yeast, and they begin the, um, the shubo in that way. So they're creating this lactic acid-rich water that gets put in to start fermentation. And that's one of the key differentiators. Um, the, the Kimoto method kind of refined that even more. And then they moved on to Yamahai and then Sokujo. So there's a clear development over time of mm. this fermentation starter. Nice. All right. Well, Tim, thank you for that uh, that rundown. I Actually, to be honest with you, I don't know as much about Shubo as I probably should. And now I know quite a bit more. <laughs> as we are known to do on this show, we have brought along some sake. And this week we've got some uncommon Shubo method sakes, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Um why don't I go ahead and introduce mine, and then you can tell me what you have. Sure. But I brought along a sake called Dan, D-A-N, like mm. Dan's the man, Dan. Dan is the it's man. It's called Dan Yamahai Junmai Ginjo. So this is that Yamahai style that I told you about. Uh, this is a natural development lactic acid style, but it doesn't do the pole ramming. It doesn't do the mashing of the rice beforehand. Okay, no Again, pole. That, Got it. That came into being around 1910s or so, and um, uh, that indicates to me, when I see Kimoto or Yamaha in the name, that indicates to me that I might look for something a little bit earthy, a little bit funky. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so that's that's the one I brought. What do you have today? I brought a sake from a, a brewery called Amabuki in Saga Prefecture, and this is their Omachi. Right, there's, a, there's a theme, guys. There is a theme lately with John. <laughs> uh, this is their o Omachi Kimoto Junmai Daiginjo. So I mm. went kitchen sink on uh, on titles for this week, I think. Uh, and this is a very exciting and interesting sake that I cannot wait to uh, to start sipping and talking about. Awesome. Yeah. So why don't you go first? You can go ahead and pour and uh, let us know about the aroma and the taste for your sake. Sure. Uh, so the aroma is very, it's still very floral, uh, a little bit of a kind of honeydew. Um, it's, you know, it's sweet on the nose. It's kind of nice. It's very different. It's very unique. And then the flavor is just wildly complex. There's so much going on here. So um, a few weeks back, we talked about that that omachi note that we have a hard time truly describing. And that's there, but it's not alone. It's brought friends. There's bits of melon, strawberry. Uh, it's 
complex and moving. It's always changing while it's in your mouth. This is a very interesting and unusual sake. So taking this ancient method, this very rich rice, and then they're milling it down to 46%. So it's still very luxurious while it's made from all these very uh, ancient components. It makes a really interesting, very interesting juxtaposition. And it is really a lot of fun to drink. And one thing I think we can't skip over when we talk about this brand, Amabuki, is that they use flour yeast for all of their sake. That's right. Their signature thing. So the yeast that they use to actually ferment the mash is cultivated off of different types of flowers. That is that is the the, the fun thing about Amabuki uh, is that they're always doing that. It's always uh, it's always interesting. Yeah, and for the Junmai Daiginjo Kimoto, the flower is the rhododendron. You know, um, I have that in front of me, and I was going to casually skip saying it because I couldn't pronounce the word right. <laughs> rhododendron it's a rhododendron thank you yes i could not tell you what it looks like but uh the fact that they get all their yeast off of flowers other other styles they make they use strawberry blossom um and it's just amazing that they've been able to get these really complex flavors using this really unique yeast most breweries do not do this they buy yeast from suppliers. Yeah, that, that is truly uh, one of the more interesting things about Amabuki. And we should dive into that a little bit more in a future episode. Yeah, they're a super interesting brand. So Tim, let's, uh, let's sip on the Dan. Let's talk about that. All right. So um, this is, as we mentioned before, a Yamaha Junmai Ginjo. Mm-hmm. And the brewery name is Sasaichi. 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 And they're from Yamanashi Prefecture. Yamanashi Prefecture. We don't get that much sake from there, do we? Yeah. You know, Yamanashi, I think, is really well known for the wine grapes that grow in Japan. So there's certain types of wine grapes that grow. And I think Yamanashi is well known as the one area in Japan that has wine tradition but Very um, interesting yeah this has a 55 percent rice milling rate mm-hmm. i'm gonna give it a smell mm. so it has a wonderful kind of apple pear smell to it oh that's, that's I think nice crisp fruits that you bite into and you get that crunch the um apple green apple pear mm, really lovely it's a fruitiness but it's not that tropical melon banana it's it's much more crisp fruits really delicious and let's give it a taste mm. oh wow oh it's yeah really rich mm. uh, feels very very full it almost feels uh, a, a little nama-esque like there's a little bit of that rich juicy characteristic that you get in nama it doesn't have the brightness of an unpasteurized sake, but it has that rich, really, coating. Uh, the alcohol percentage is only 16.5, so it's mm. not super high in alcohol. Mm-hmm. But it's very dense and rich. And guess what? The rice is our old friend, Grandpa Omachi. Oh, no. <laughs> so at this rate, we're going to have to rename the show Omachi Revolution. <laughs> 
and I have no regrets. I actually bought this sake not knowing that. Uh, but yeah, I, I, knew I have no regrets I either. I forgot, <laughs> I forgot that that sake had homachi. Yeah. So uh, this is this is there's a lot going on with this sake. Uh, really, really fun, juicy, full bodied. Um, but I, I'm trying to think of something to pair it with. Oh, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, it's like a meal in itself. Yeah. There's so much going on. Uh, but I think I would pair it with richer foods for sure. Mm. For sure. Um, That's interesting. In in my case, though, the Amabuki, even though it's Omachi, uh, it, is, it is a Junmai Daiginjo. It is very lush and very luxurious. And I'm... I'm terrified to mess with it. I would not want to give it any hard flavor, any strong flavors. Uh, maybe, you know, some grilled fish, maybe some white mm. fish with this, but I would not want any strong, uh, nothing really. Uh, this is staying away from my meats, uh, from my, my beefs and whatnot. This is staying away from the, from the spicy food. Mm. Uh, I might actually try to keep this away from food in general, but if I want to pair with something, I do something that, is inoffensive like uh, grilled fish. You know, John, I wanted to ask you about the texture of your sake because it's a Junmai Daiginjo. Mm-hmm. That's like super premium grade and the rice milling is so low. When I hear that, I think, you know, super silky. Um, is it lighter in texture or richer in texture? It's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of plump and viscous. Is a it's, mm, yeah. It's it's very luxurious. It coats mm-hmm. the mouth. There's a lot going on. Yeah. When you mill that sake down to forty percent, things are going to happen. Especially when you combine it with these, you know, ancient methodology, this uh, heritage style rice, and then on top of that, flour yeast. It's it's yeah. such a unique and interesting sake. It's completely unlike most things I've ever had. Yeah, there's a lot going on, and it sounds like compared to a very traditional Junmai Daiginjo, this has so many more layers. Absolutely. Um, when you think of Junmai Daiginjo, you think of something that's very kind of light and refined and fragrant. And this is, you know, this is a little bit light. It's still very luxurious feeling, but it's so complex and so interesting and so different that it's really not like uh, most other Junmai Daiginjos that, that I've ever tasted. It's probably a lot different from a lot of their out there. Yeah. So if people are looking to try Kimoto's, Yamaha's, or Sokujo's, or Bodaimoto's, any of the fermentation starter styles that we talked about today, I can tell you that uh, the Sokujo, the modern method, is about 90% of sake production. The Yamaha, the style that I had, is about the next 9%. And Kimoto is only about 1% of sake made. So Kimoto, the most labor-intensive of the most recent three styles, is uh, the rarest because it has the most labor involved. Mm -hmm. And the Bodaimoto is really just produced by a few places in the country. It's very rare, rare style of sake. Mm. So that is something you really have to seek out as a specialty niche product. But for Kimoto, Yamaha, and Sokujo... uh, depending on the amount of labor involved, they're increasingly more available. You know, the the easier they are to produce, yeah. Well, I think that about wraps it up for this episode. I want to thank all our listeners so much for tuning in. 
And if you can, please take a moment to rate our show on Apple Podcasts. It'll really help us out a lot. Yeah, it is. I think Apple Podcasts is still the best way to get the word out about uh, podcasts. Um, Unless, of course, you just tell a friend, which you should. Uh, And also tell your friends to subscribe wherever they download their podcasts so that you do not miss an episode and neither does your friend. And as always, to learn more about any of the topics or sakes that we talked about in today's episode, be sure to visit our website, sakerevolution.com, for all the detailed show notes. And as we mentioned earlier, if you have a sake question that you need answered, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us at feedback at sakerevolution.com. So until next time, please remember, keep drinking sake and... Kampai!